Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, our teacher, may we look to you and may we receive what your spirit is speaking to us this morning. Give us open hearts. and an awareness of your presence within us and moving among us. And we do pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I promise I didn't set out to preach a periodic sermon series on difficult sayings of Jesus, but that tricky Holy Spirit just kind of sucks you right in. Well, at this point in Matthew, which is uh, not... Far from what, where we were last time, um, Jesus is coming very, very close to the end of his ministry. And Matthew is painting for us and for Matthew's community a really dramatic picture of Jesus getting in his last words to his opponents, his words of warning. And in this chapter, he intentionally ups the ante in his conflict with the established religious leaders of his people. Do what they tell you, he says to the crowds and to his friends and followers. Do what they tell you as long as they're actually passing on the law of Moses, but don't imitate their behavior. Why? Because they don't walk the talk. Now, for Anabaptists especially, could there be a more scathing condemnation? People whose solid preference is to show our faith by our actions and only, well, for many of us, only to speak about it if absolutely necessary. Perhaps the worst thing someone could say about a sincere Mennonite is their life doesn't match their beliefs. Or that they're elevating themselves above others and expecting special treatment. So we like this passage, right? Maybe we even enjoy seeing Jesus stick it to him. That's right, y'all better humble yourselves and do some voluntary service. I mean, we, we're all about putting Jesus' teachings into practice. None of this showiness, none of this hierarchical nonsense. So a passage like this is sort of a Mennonite rallying cry to put others first and, and to serve. And I don't know about you, but... Maybe it's not tempting for you to have a little Mennonite pride. Like, we got this one. Like, we do this. But, but it is for me. I find it to be, to be somewhat tempting. And so, trying to kind of look at it from another couple of angles today. Okay, so like, like before, let's just say. Let's just say that the Pharisees and the scribes are doing the best that they can do. You'll recall... Um, that there were competing movements in Judaism of this, this time. Various groups of Jewish people trying to be faithful and trying to hold on to their identity while living in a brutal empire. An empire which displayed little conscience and which denied their humanity on a routine basis. Okay, so let's say the Pharisees, at least initially, wanted to help their people to live close to God in a frightening time and a godless culture. 
But Jesus says, especially here through Matthew's eyes, that in teaching people to follow Torah, to follow the instruction of God, they created unbearable burdens and made holiness and faithfulness to God unreachable for people who wanted to follow God as sincerely as they did. Maybe more, according to the woes that are following this. And this laying heavy burdens on people, on others, without trying to even help, is in stark contrast with the easy yoke and the light burden that Jesus speaks about as his at the end of Matthew 11, our our verse for the year, Jesus' easy yoke. And not only do these leaders weigh people down, but they want to be seen and honored publicly as devout and as close to God's heart. And so they wear these broad phylacteries. That's quite a word, phylacteries. Some of you might remember these are these little boxes that might be made of leather with mini scrolls of scripture tucked into them with straps so someone could attach them to their forehead or onto their arm and wear the, the scripture close to them, onto their, on their bodies and literally obey some of the commandments in um, Exodus 13 and Deuteronomy 6, this bind them on your forehead, bind them on your hand or your arm, these, these commandments that I'm giving to you and remember that I brought you out of the land of Egypt. But in that time and in the way they were doing it, it's like someone wearing a gigantic gold cross as a way to, to show that they're um, devoted to Christ. The showy displays. And wanting to be greeted with respect and to sit at the, the head of the table at the banquets. Now before I get too far into this, I just need to acknowledge that being a religious leader myself... I'm in the category of people Jesus is harshly critiquing here. And, you know, preaching about it is awkward. (laughs) Just want to name that tension. I would kind of prefer, like, Sharon or Ernie or Claudia, if you could just come and talk about this instead. You know, you're sort of done for the moment with formal, formal church leadership. No? Yeah, so, but really, if we as leaders get caught up in worrying, and it's easy to do, worrying too much about how we appear to you or to others, if we come to expect praise and deference, begin to pay more attention to externals than to our life with God, then we ought to be taken to task by Christ. And, and we're no better than the leaders that Jesus raked over the coals if we, if we just tell you, you need to go figure out how to be in solidarity with people who are at the margins. But we don't struggle alongside you with the questions and the doubts and the uncertainties that we all have. So may the Spirit of Christ teach us together. And indeed, Jesus says, you are all students. Actually, Matthew's word is brothers. You are all siblings with one divine source. 
one teacher, one heavenly parent. And so Matthew is shaping his community's understanding of itself as followers of Jesus. We're not going to be like these hypocritical leaders who burden our people, but instead he's speaking of a place where people who are of unequal status in the mainstream culture, people who are, who are seen as not equal um, because of ability or economics or gender, any number of categories you can think of, People who were separated by these barriers become brothers and sisters and learners together with Christ as their one teacher. And all are equal in their need and all are equally welcomed and forgiven and loved by God. It's beautiful. And how does that work exactly? Especially in a community full of leaders this past, I can't read this passage without um, recognizing the struggle that we have, um, especially as people who focus on um, trying to have re- mutual relationships and s- to serve one another as, as equals before God. We struggle with the reality that we do have power in the world. We struggle with how to exercise leadership in a culture, a Mennonite culture, where leading by example is highly valued and hierarchy is resisted for good reason. Yet we do have leaders and um, we do have roles of influence within our wider culture and those do affect the kind of sway we have um, in a community of faith. Whether we're in formal leadership or not, the roles we carry with us Um, affect the kind of influence we have, even in the church. Well, I'm simply naming that. I'm not attempting to unpack that today. But wanting to come at it from another vantage point, and that of, of humility, which Jesus speaks about at the end of the passage we heard read today, that those who humble themselves will be exalted, Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And this, tell me if this this is your experience, but it seems that we define humility in a sort of odd way in the church. That it comes to mean that we really can't take credit for anything. Like we we need to um, simply give God the praise, which is good. But even if we're good at something or we have a skill or we happen to shine, there's something about this desire to be humble that makes us not know how to uh, even, even admit the things that, that we're good at. And so we have this weird dynamic around humility, but then we are human beings and we all have a need to feel valued and to contribute something useful. And so even though we reject pursuing greatness or success as our culture defines it, we're still human, and so 
we will find a way to feel valuable. And so the way to be great in the kingdom, and perhaps especially as Mennonite followers of Jesus, is to be a servant. And so we go about being the best servants the world has ever seen. And this is good. I mean, really, we can't help admitting we're pretty good at it. But the trouble comes when being a servant is the way to be valued in a community. And not everyone has access to being a servant. And some people get stuck in the role of always being served. And when our very good desire to fulfill our role as servants creates distance between ourselves and those we serve, keeping them in the role of needy or less than. And we, we can see this happening. Um, I mean, even, even at foot washing, do you notice it's hard to be the first one who gets their feet washed, right? Like, we want to be the one who washes the feet. Like, it's, it's hard. Notice, notice in yourself the, your resistance to what I'm saying. Notice, notice what objections you're having as, as I'm saying these things. Or, or do you feel anything in your body? Do you feel any clenching? Just pay attention to that because it's important. It's important to, to notice how, how we, we react to this because this is a huge value for us and it's hard. It's hard to face it and it's, it's complicated because our motives are generally not bad and we don't always know what our motives are. But how can we go in recognizing that it's good to find a valued role to play, how do we go deeper under the layers of ego and into true solidarity and reciprocal relationships of mutual service more of the time? I do see us doing this. I see, I see you doing it. In our community mealtime, it's powerful that... Um, when we sit together with people who are in roles in our society that are deeply devalued, it's, it's meaningful when we even, when you and I take a chance to actually share about our own lives. And I notice people actually listen and take that in. And to have that a little bit of an exchange where there's something mutual happening, that's powerful because that doesn't happen very often in our society. And I see the ways that, that we, we make effort to share our power. And yet it's just so easy to be in the giving role and not to be looking to receive or expecting to learn. What does it mean for the church to be a community of mutual service in an imperfect world where some people are born with more access to powerful people and to a certain level of wealth, and on and on, some more than others. And it's certainly a wonder of the gospel that, that it throws us all together with people that we would never have known if it weren't for Jesus, or at least that's the intention of the body of Christ. 
And the reality still is that we have people in the body who have held very different roles in life. And you think of the, all of the valued roles that you have had. I, I have to give a little shout out to Elisa and her um, organization. I had went to, um, on Thursday, she invited me to go to a training which talks about these roles. And I would love to unpack some of this more with, with some of you as we think about mission and joining God. Um, but, but how many valued roles have you had in your life? Not, not just connected with a job, but even being a parent or a sibling or the role you might play in your family. Maybe you get everyone together. Maybe you build bridges in your family. Roles that you have had that are recognized um, in the community or in, a, in your work role. Um, even hobbies, right? You might, you know, if you're a photographer, if you're a nature lover, you can identify um, all different kinds of insects, like Ben Hai, right? I mean, or Soren, sorry. And, and, you know, you might, you have all these skills and you have ways of playing a valuable role. And then there are, there are various people who, because they've become too old to hold a lot of valuable roles, or there's some, um, some block or some, uh, something that they, they didn't choose, right, don't have access to the same kind of valued roles and, in fact, have been given roles that are devalued, like someone who's in need, someone who is a client, someone who gets stuck in those roles, like a lot of the folks you would come to us on, on Monday night, end up like permanently in the role of receiver. And, um, and that puts a great distance, and it's this dehumanizing effect that it has on, on people. So what does it mean for Jesus to come along and, and in this humanizing way reunite people who have been estranged from each other because of these, these barriers and these different roles. And for Jesus to invite us to not only be serving and be in the role of servant, but sisters and brothers who receive and give, who are in the role of receiver. I thought that I could potentially escape this conundrum by participating in non-traditional church ministries. I thought that if I could just genuinely get to know people who are living at the edge, people who are living with not much material wealth, maybe I could kind of slip out of or stand aside from the privilege that automatically comes with the label of pastor or whether or not one is leading a congregation or the respect or the deference that comes from having quite a bit of education. But it's not possible to shed that skin, it turns out. And so I'm hoping that along with you, with your help, um, that I can and we can all learn to make better use of the power and privilege that we, that we have, that we can't get rid of and we don't need to, but how to share this. And in many ways, as I said, we do this sharing of power, and in other ways, we don't know how. We don't know how to do it. And we need God to take our hand and lead us.
as sisters and brothers who are all learners, needing to rely on grace. And we need that continual communication with the living word, with Jesus, to be able to put this into practice. And that has just continued to come home to me lately. That we, we can't accept change and growth or that new thing that God is doing, and God is doing something new in you regardless of whether you know it. But that opening, a daily willing opening to the Spirit of Christ to teach us is the only way that we're going to be able to accept accept transformation that wants to happen. And in, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, if you're barely hearing this sermon because your children are active, that doesn't mean there's not some place to be opening to transformation, even though it's often painful and scary. But what if this easy yoke of Jesus for leaders and servants of all kinds is actually kind of a relief? You might remember um, that this question about the greatest, Jesus says in this passage, the greatest among you will be your servant. This question of the greatest comes up at other times in uh, in the Gospels, as, as Jesus and his disciples are on the way. And in, in Matthew, just a couple of chapters earlier, in Matthew 18, 1 to 5, this question comes up. And Jesus connects this, again, with becoming like children. The disciples ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a child over and puts the child among them and says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So wondering is whether this theme, which we have in Mark as well, of becoming like little children, can help to create some new life in this tension between needing to, to be valued and be recognized or the opposite direction of I'm not worthy and I'm not going to even admit that I'm doing anything good. Because children... <laughs> Right, are, are curious and willing to learn and willing to admit what they don't know and ask questions. And at the same time, they're really confident about what they do know. Like They're ready to teach you and show you how to do whatever they know how to do. And so this ability to share what is understood and to share what is valued um, is something that, that children seem to be able to do naturally. So I wonder if we might proceed as learners like children together. And what might that look like? And how might we change even some of our structures, some of our even physical spaces, um, to, to be able to do that more easily?
And as we come to the table today, it's clear that we all come as receivers, all coming in need of the food of God that will empower us like nothing else can to serve one another like children without some of the the baggage we carry with us about what is supposed to be and what is not supposed to be, but to offer freely what we have and to receive freely what we need. May it be so.